social ladies. All the 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 social ladies. Now put your phones up. I ordered you some candy from Target. Really? I did. Reese's? I did. Like only Reese's? Only, well, I got you a variety pack from the Halloween candy section. What comes in it? Twix, Reese's, Three Musketeers, Snickers. Thank you. I bought myself Sour Patch Kids. This is really stemming from our conversation last week. (laughs) I just felt inspired and really wanted some candy. I'm excited. Yeah. Speaking of which, did you see Google announced their top overall searches for Halloween costumes this year? I did. Do you have any thoughts you'd like to share with the the listeners? I do. (laughs) Let's first talk about the way that it's broken up, broken out. So there's popular Halloween costumes overall, most popular Halloween costumes for kids, most popular Halloween costumes for couples, popular Halloween costumes for babies and pets. (laughs) And all 10 of the (laughs) costumes under babies is just a word with baby in front of it. Or in the case of this one baby after it where it reads boss baby (laughs) yes baby shark baby yoda baby pumpkin boss baby baby dinosaur it's very similar to the pets which is cat taco corgi stegosaurus woody dog it's just like putting a word in front of what it is honestly my favorite is number 10 where people are searching how to dress their pets like raccoons yeah riddle me that one that's a little meta exactly well, regardless, on the top four regular people. Overall. Overall. Sorry. I didn't regular know how- people, not a furry person. <laughs> or a baby. <laughs> yeah, we have some interesting ones like Inflatable Shark. It, I think that's the dancing sharks from, yeah, from Katy, Katy Perry. Perry's Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Marshmallow, the DJ, not the food item. <laughs> uh, but then a lot of TV-based stuff, which makes sense. Yes, so The Mandalorian, which is the Disney Plus series, and also Cobra Kai, which I haven't seen on Netflix Neither yet, have, have I. you? No, but that's number one. Speaking of Netflix, mm-hmm. I want to talk about Coco Melon. Mm. Coco Melon, yes. Tell me so, more. Coco Melon is a show or a children's program that's popular on YouTube. It started in 2018, so it's been around for a couple of years now. Yeah, there's nearly 100 million subscribers, and the videos have more than 3.5 billion views, so more than any other YouTube channel and more than several content providers like Netflix and Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, so Coco Melon is now on Netflix. It's interesting to think about because... The two aren't really direct competitors, seeing as you pay for Netflix and you don't pay for YouTube. Mm -hmm. But they're definitely competing for similar audiences. Yeah, the kids. The kids and their parents, really. I mean, I feel like it's so common for a parent to hand a kid an iPad and put it on YouTube. And that's why YouTube Kids exists. Right. But this this, uh, study from Morning Consult found that 65% of kids pick YouTube as their primary source of entertainment. Checks out. I just go there for music videos. That's true. I used to watch a lot of YouTube content. I did too. Um, Not even like when I was a kid, just I think in my teen years. Mm -hmm. I used to watch it to get ready or while I was... Like the blogger stuff you like. Right. Um, And I mean, if you think about it too, all the streaming services need content. They're looking for more things to put onto the platforms. So this is an interesting collaboration we have Mm -hmm. on our hands here. You mentioned... As a teen, another thing that happened when we were teens is we wore (laughs) yoga pants, right? Yes. So 
Did you see on TikTok that teens are discovering yoga pants and calling them flared leggings? I'm dead. <laughs> like, what? History repeats itself. I get it. I just cannot get past the UGG and yoga pants combo. It, like, transports me back to this well, I other period in time. Last night, too, someone cutting their Uggs into Ugg slippers, slippers, which I thought was brilliant. Super crafty. They're so comfortable, but I don't really have a need to wear Ugg boots anymore. I am glad you said the word comfortable because our guest today focuses on really comfy clothes. She does. Today we talk to Eva Pauling, who's the co-founder and CEO of Richer Poorer. She is really one of the pioneers of the innerwear industry. Yeah, and of course the pandemic has had a huge impact on her business with everyone staying home a little bit more and wanting to be cozy and also look chic for their zoom calls which she has done and we are wearing the clothes and we love them <laughs> absolutely i think this is a really exciting one so let's get into it hi eva welcome to the show hi thank you guys for having me we are so happy you're here and we start every episode with a rapid fire social media speed round are you ready okay go favorite social network instagram What is your go-to emoji? Lately, it's been the like happy smiley face with the three hearts on it. Oh, I love Michelle loves that one too. (laughs) That's a good one. It's a good one. It makes people feel happy. Yes. How about Twitter or TikTok? Um, I don't Twitter because I feel like it's um, a game of double dutch that I like cannot find the timing (laughs) to jump into. Um, and TikTok, I have a love hate with, I've deleted the app probably like 25 times because I've gone down like hour long rabbit holes. So probably TikTok, I guess. Okay. What about stories or feed? Uh, um, definitely stories. What Instagram ad can you not get rid of? Um, true botanicals face serum, (laughs) which finally got me. Did you buy it? I love the product. I did. I love the product now. Okay. What is your favorite meme? My favorite meme is a very old one and I use it all the time at work. And I feel like I've seen it a lot this year because of 2020 is what it is. I know what you're going to say. The dog in the burning room that's saying everything is fine. Yep. So it's 2005 and you're on MySpace. What song would be playing on your profile? Oh God. Um, Probably like Usher or something of the sort. I was very into Usher at the time, like that 2003 (laughs) to 2006 space, I would say. That's really embarrassing. No, not embarrassing. (laughs) You're actually not alone in that. We've had a lot of ladies. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. (laughs) So we would love to hear just about you and Richard Poor and your kind of experience that led you to where you are today. All right. Um, There's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Loaded (laughs) questions. So. Yeah, loaded question. How much time do you have? Let's do it. (laughs) Specifically, tell us a little bit more about starting the company. So um, it was interesting. Um, This was in 2010, so 10 years ago. Um, The idea kind of came up in May, and we ended up in market with product in November. So it was pretty quick. Wow. Um, So my business partner and I um, were friends. At the time, I was working um, for my sister and brother-in-law. My sister has a jewelry brand, Goriana. Um, which is everywhere now and has a bunch of stores and is a fantastic brand of jewelry that I still we know love it well. dearly. We love it. Okay. <laughs> so um, I was working for my sister. I was, we were in the jewelry business, obviously. Um, I was starting to get that itch to just like want to do something on my own. Um, you know, I'd watch my sister and brother-in-law grow the business and it was on this amazing trajectory and I loved, loved what we were doing and I loved the world of brands and fashion and all of that. But 
um, very much kind of just had this itch that I like could not like get rid of. And um, Tim had brought me this idea of starting a men's sock company at the time. Hmm. Um, and in jewelry, it's a pretty high margin business, like from a unit economic standpoint and business model. And it's actually really hard to find in the world of fashion of anything with decent margins. Yeah. So when I started looking at socks and understanding um, the you know margin structure and kind of really looking at the brand landscape, and at the time there really wasn't a lot of people in the sock game. Um, you know, there was the like really high price point items out of Europe. There was like 30 plus dollars for a pair of socks. And then you kind of had like your packs of socks at Target, Costco, and then, you know, Gap, J. Crew, those guys doing it. So there wasn't like a branded real um, kind of ecosystem for socks. And so I kind of looked at it and thought this is either a great opportunity because no one's seen this yet, or this is a really bad opportunity mm. that people have tried and just failed at. <laughs> right. There's a, um, there's a we, reason we, why. Yeah, exactly. So um, by like assessing the market and kind of figuring out that it was pretty low barrier to entry, we could kind of take a chance at it and get the business off the ground for probably under $30,000 at the time, um, which was really inexpensive. Mm-hmm. Um, in the scope of starting a brand. So we just kind of went for it. Um, So I, you know, told my sister and brother-in-law that I wanted to, you know, kind of leave the company at some point in the next year was what I had told them. Um, And that it was like going to be this slow build that I was going to moonlight on it. Um, And they to, you know, much to their credit, were like, great that you want to do this. We totally support you. But like you're going to be half in half out and you really need to just go do this. Mm-hmm. They essentially kind of pushed me out of the nest in two wow. months. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> I'm fucked. I need to figure this out. So it really just kind of fast forward the process. So, you know, from, like I said, May, we had the idea and um, November we were in stores. So you start with socks and now it's innerwear. Tell me more about that transition. Yeah. So we started as a men's sock brand and we really had, um, we had the intention of expanding the collection. Um, eventually we just, we really liked the idea of starting as, um, kind of this like smaller price point item that you could really kind of, um, explain to a customer very simply. Like it wasn't going to be this whole breath of like, who are we as rich or poor? Like we just make great socks that are super comfortable, well-designed, well price point. Um, and that was really our, like entry. And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, we started from there, we moved into men's underwear and then we moved into men's t-shirts. In the meantime, we had launched women's socks because our retailers wanted them. Um, we quickly found out that women don't wear socks quite like men do. They still don't. <laughs> it is impossible to train women to wear socks differently than we're used to, which is really just like this utility item for yep. us. Yep. We, so we slowly kind of started adding on products. Men's t-shirts was a big kind of shift for us because, you know, we found in the office, everyone that was wearing printed socks was wearing solid color t-shirts. I was adamantly against stepping into solid colored plain t-shirts because there's a gazillion of them on the market. Why would we do anything better? And how could we actually make this, um, you know, improve the category from Mm -hmm. what was existing at the time? We ended up like fitting a legitimately really, really good men's tee that became like a cult favorite of like the industry. Mm -hmm. Like at trade shows, everyone was wearing our pocket tee. And so then we did that for women's as well. Um, And then it was really the bralette that kind of changed the trajectory of the business for us. Um, you know, this was got four or five years ago 
And it was when bralettes like suddenly took hold of the market, yeah. but everything on the market was like the lace bralette. The lace, yeah. It was like peeking out of your tank top. It was mm-hmm. supposed to be this cute thing. We really thought we had been doing this cotton modal um, in our men's boxer briefs that people were obsessed with. And so we were like, wait, why don't we just use that and create a better, like better, better looking bralette that didn't look like a training bra, but was really comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. And it just caught fire really quick. Um, it was our first item that like we we always talk about a push and pull like market within our business and like what products are we having to push on people and what products are just like, are just getting pulled into the market Mm -hmm. and people are just really kind of gobbling up. And the bralette was that. So it sold out very quickly. We ended up having like a 2000 person wait list. It kept selling out. And so that really kind of set the trajectory for us. I'm like, okay, there's this world for the women's market. You know, if we can create super soft items and well beyond the bralette of t-shirts and sweats and all these items that fit really, really well, and that somebody feels really confident in and are really well priced, then like that kind of solidified this kind of new direction for the brand. So from the for the last five years, that's really like has slowly kind of been the growth pattern for us of, you know, narrowing our focus and then kind of expanding the categories and products um, that we have built with like those kind of four or five elements in mind. I will say I was on the wait list for the Femme Boxer. <laughs> yeah. So the Femme Boxer was the next one. They're like these products that um, we always say like you just live in, right? Like when they're clean and they're at the top of your drawer, like you're so happy to open the drawer and be like, yes. I love that feeling. (laughs) No, it's honestly the best. It's like, we just want to be comfortable. Why do women have to wear a bra with an underwire like every day? We don't (laughs) want to, especially now working from home. Like you just don't go back. Like once you've worn a bralette for long enough, it is nearly impossible to put an underwire bra back yeah. on. Like I think I have maybe done it like four times in the last three years. And every time I'm like, this is torture. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you think, I mean, we'll talk about the ban- pandemic and the growth of the company from the pandemic, yeah. but in general, just with like fashion, how do you see that evolving? Like I'm shopping now for products that look good in a client, like look, look good on Zoom, but I'm comfortable. Yep. And like, where do yep. you see the kind of fashion industry going due to the times? You know, I, I think that we're at this really interesting point because, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of like macro trends, like pop culture speaking and just culturally speaking yep, that I right. think have been like slowly building, right? Like with like, you know, feminism kind of taking this like new front and center, like mainstream position in the world and women really kind of starting to re-examine what we do and our habits and the things that we've been kind of trained to Mm -hmm. do, like the clothes we wear, right? The underwear we wear, the shoes we wear, all of these things. So I think that we're like hitting this new kind of world of comfort for women that has not existed historically. And I think, you know, this was something that I discovered probably, I think it was like 2003, 2004, I was living in New York and it was like when ballet flats and Ugg boots (laughs) hit. Yes. And I remember very specifically at the time, I think I was like 21, 22 and being like, oh no, I don't think I'm going to buy those because they're going to be out of style next Mm -hmm, year. right? Right. Like it was like, we were in this revolving trend cycle, or at least, you know, my brief time in the world of purchasing products and seeing that like those things are still exist today in a very relevant way. And that people are still wearing, you know, 16, 17 years later, Because once you kind of find a comfortable trend or something that was trendy at one point that it's comfortable, you don't really let it out of your closet. So 
I think that what this past year has done and where we've kind of fast forwarded really quickly in this year, but has been slowly building with like athleisure and then women wanting more comfortable items is just this realization that you don't have to look bad to feel comfortable, right? Like you don't have to have the gross old college t-shirts and old sweats in order to be comfortable. Like there's very much ways to still look totally put together, but be really comfortable on a daily basis. And I think that the designers and brands that are really recognizing that and really offering that and starting to build collections accordingly are going to, you know, really thrive in the next five years, 10 years. But I think as we've all accepted that we don't have to be so dressed up anymore and we want to be comfortable, that it's kind of created this entirely new ecosystem of brands and um, a space in fashion that really hasn't historically existed in a relevant way. We know you had already planned to gradually switch from this whole wholesale model to direct to consumer. And I read this stat where you said you sold at least three times as many sweatpants in a three-week period when the pandemic hit than you did in all of 2019. Tell us more about that and how the direct-to-consumer e-com stuff has really blown up. Yeah, it was um, it was a absolute insane, like, I would say <laughs> six-week stretch for us. So um, we had already started dealing with like the effects of COVID and coronavirus in January because a lot of our suppliers are in China. Mm-hmm. So we had like come January 5th, I would say, like when we came back from to, to the new year, it was already like, oh, you know, stuff's getting delayed. We're going to have to start dealing with this supply chain wise. And so we were already kind of on high alert with what was going to, what was happening on like an operational side of the business. And then, you know, March hit and we started seeing rumblings of what was going on domestically. And I, you know, I was prepared for like, we're going to have to cut our staff down to half. Wholesale is going to come to a screeching halt. Like we can't survive on just e-com alone. And, um, you know, built this like contingency plan of like three different levels of what we were going to do. And, you know, like March, that Wednesday, I want to say we had this, like, it was the day the stock market like imploded. And like Mm -hmm. that Thursday, Friday was the mass hysteria. And so Wednesday came and suddenly like our e-com started to spike and then Thursday was higher and then Friday was higher and it kept climbing and climbing. And we were just kind of like holding on and like watching, like, when is this going to end? What's going on? Is this temporary? How long does this last? Right. And um, I think it took us a few weeks to kind of like settle into like, okay, we're just, we kind of have hit this inflection point. Like I keep saying we were at like the right place at the very wrong time for the world. But we just kind of caught this lightning in a bottle. And um, luckily, we had the inventory that we kind of pulled out of wholesale. And I mean, it was crazy. We were selling, you know, two, 300 pairs of sweatpants a day, um, which was just insane for us. I mean, like our our revenue from an e-com perspective, you know, in March doubled February, and then in April doubled again. Um, wow. And then kept growing. So it was just, it totally transitioned the business for us. I think because everyone was already in that headspace that we were able to kind of fast forward and, you know, probably change our business, which would have taken us the next 18 months to do in the course of three months. One of my clients has a grocery brand and we were planning the launch of their delivery e-commerce platform like for (laughs) mid this year. Yeah, And then Of course, you know, everyone's ordering groceries now and we're like, well, that's one way to launch. Like, and it it really just propels you and you kind of just learn as you go. So we've been feeling that as well. But what was that moment like? I I feel like hearing you talk about it, it's so such a quick switch from being like, holy shit, how are we going to get our product out there to, 
oh my God, <laughs> how yeah, are we going to make know, enough it was, product? Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. It was, I will tell you that I remember coming home that Wednesday night and I am a very like calm, cool, collected, like I can keep my cool through, like I'm the dog in the living room. Like I can just be like, everything's <laughs> fine. The house is burning down around me. I will make the best of this. It's okay. Yeah. And um, I came home that Wednesday night when the like stock market imploded and I melted down. Like, and I don't really do that. I had like two and a half hours of just like, crying like I'd put my kids to bed my husband was like it's gonna be okay and I was like oh my god we might go out of business like it was just everything right um and then two weeks later it was literally like trying to get more inventory from our suppliers like asking them how quickly they can turn sweat so you know I think as an entrepreneur especially after doing this for so long you've you kind of quickly realize that the phases can be very fast and you just kind of have to like go to the next yeah yep. what's the next thing that we have to solve and get to and you know it was survival, which we were like, okay, we're good. We're stable. We're fine. And then quickly moved to like, okay, now we have to retool and figure out what we need for this business. So emotionally it was like the most stress and like the most satisfaction I think I've felt in this business in such a quick stretch of time. (laughs) I can't imagine. I mean that like you talked about the itch of wanting to start your own company and having this like entrepreneurial spirit, but it's like, you have to be able to like think on your feet, move quick. And it's, there's some highs and there are some lows. I'm talking about oh this, like God. I'm a seasoned entrepreneur, <laughs> but I'm not, but like, I can feel, I, I get what you're saying. I say this all the time to people that like the, the number one thing is not going to be like, how great is your idea? How much money do you have? Like how much money have you raised and are able to, you know, put into the business? It's like, how quickly can you get back up? Because you're going to get punched in the face a lot, even when mm-hmm. things are going well. Like you will get knocked down over and over again. And you just have to figure out how to pick yourself back up and keep moving forward. I, um, I go to this spin class that I am obsessed with the owner of the studio. It's a tiny little studio in Laguna. And she constantly like at the end of each song, and this is so cheesy, but she's always mm-hmm. says just like, put that away. That's done. What's next? Oh, because I like that. That's it. Like, that's all, that's all you can do is just focus on what's in front of you and what, what are the next steps you can take? And that's it. One day at a time. One day, <laughs> One day at a time. Literally. Yeah. Those little words of wisdom from your like trainers, you can't get that anywhere else. <laughs> no, it's a certain type of high. Like once you, oh, if you're yeah. in a pose or you're doing something hard and they just say that one thing, it's really feels different. It hits different. <laughs> I use those things so much on my day to day. Like I can't even explain because it's like the, you can relate so much of like, you know, in a physical challenge environment, it's no different than work, really, right? Like, right. you still have the same, it's just mental. Yep. Well, I like it too, because they don't know all the intricacies of what you're dealing with. <laughs> like, like, you can just kind of listen yep. to it from an outside perspective and say, okay. Okay, let's, let's shift focus yeah. to more of the marketing side and the social aspect of the business. Because I first found yeah. out about Rich or Poor through an Instagram ad. Of course. I, we- <laughs> I feel like you guys are notorious like for that, right? Yeah, we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I'm getting the one right now with comparing the um sweatshirt to the sustainable. It's like the yeah. split screen. Oh yeah. Of like how many one. bottles are saved. Yes. I love that. <laughs> so had you I, I'm assuming based on this timeline and like when I first heard about the brand, you had already been running D2C ads specifically um through social. But has there been any switch recently in the way that you're speaking to the customer? given the current climate, like what is the approach to marketing overall, especially now that we're living in this digital environment even more so? 
Yeah, so we actually get this question a lot of this, like, how did you guys pivot your brand um, and marketing messages after the pandemic? And um, ironically, we really haven't because like mm. I keep calling our creative director like an oracle because we des- we still are in the wholesale <laughs> space and we work with, you know, some great retailers. So we have to design our collections like well in advance. So our collection right. for fall for this year specifically um, was finished last November. And the entire um, inspiration for the collection was home, <laughs> believe it or not. Whoa, <laughs> no way. Swear. So like was being at home and the comforts of home and how you want to be able to like take that out into the world, which we're not doing quite as much, but of just the the things that make you feel good at home and that give you so much comfort. And how do you take those things with you like throughout your day? So we have, you know, we did a pretty big re brand repositioning um, and kind of rebrand that launched in January of this year. So we were already really focused on this like world of, you know, delivering confidence for people in comfort and getting people dressed for the day in a way that they still looked good. And they felt like you're saying approach, like, you know, acceptable for work and zoom calls and all of these things, which was really meant to just be in the office. But um, mm-hmm. but, but still were really, really comfortable and didn't feel like when the thing that we're trying to like rid the world of is this feeling of walking into your house after your work day is done and like ripping your bra off and ripping your shirt off because <laughs> you just want to be in your comfortable clothes. Right. It's this You're like speaking my language. Yeah. <laughs> so we, I leave our- a trail from the front door. <laughs> <laughs> so many people do. So that's what um, we were already like in this mindset of that we want to make people more comfortable. And so the world kind of just caught up rather quickly to wanting that. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, we we get asked a lot like, hey, do you think that this is just a trend that's going to go away? And, you know, like other comfortable trends, I think that the world of your comfy clothes we for so long have accepted that it's just supposed to live at home. And I think what the pandemic has really taught us is that we can feel good at home too in our most comfortable clothes, right? Like in our pajamas, in our, you know, boxer briefs and bralettes and in our t-shirts and in our sweats. That doesn't mean that we have to be sloppy and that we can still, if they Mm -hmm. fit well, that we can still feel totally put together and presentable because we really do believe that clothes can really change your mood and how you feel. And if you're uncomfortable in any capacity, or if you feel like you don't look great, you're not going to probably present very well and kind of bring that like your best Mm -hmm. self and your best energy forward. So we just have really tapped into all of the things that we were already working on and just kind of put them into like overdrive for this year. One of the things that Michelle likes to talk about is the amount of research she puts into a purchase (laughs) before she makes it. Well, I feel like we've been like the world has been seeing this more and more with brands who are taking a stance and, you know, being about more than their product. But yeah, like literally last week I, I lost my water bottle. So I'm like, I need a new water bottle. Like, which one should I get? They're all exactly the same. But now I'm like, okay, I'm going to look into like which brand I want to support. And we noticed that Richard Poor on Instagram is doing a lot of like activism right now through voting, like yeah. talking about voting. What is your stance on being a brand uh, to do social good? So I think it is absolutely paramount um, at this point. You know, I think we've lived in a world where I think a lot of athletes and brands and celebrities and everyone has been told to kind of like stay in your lane, right? But our lanes now is like, we have a lot of influence. We have a lot of followers as brands, as people. I don't mean that just as rich or poor. I mean, as anyone that has influence. Mm -hmm. And we're living in very difficult times where we need to speak up. We want to know um, 
what the brands that we're supporting and where the dollars that we're spending are going Mm -hmm. to, right? And what do those people believe in? I don't think that we live in a world anymore and I don't think it's going to exist, you know, even in the next year or five where brands can't have a point of view. I think people want to know who's behind them. What are they supporting? Are they in line with their values? Do they have values? Do they care about, you know, what's going on in the world around them? And I think it's, it certainly is a difficult conversation and um, place to step into as a brand. We yeah. definitely were very fearful of like having a point of view and what happens if you alienate your customers yep. and, um, you know, what happens, all of those things. We've certainly had those conversations, but I think this year has really kind of pushed us forward to go, you know, there are things that are more important than just like not offending people, right? Like basic human rights and making sure that we're supporting the efforts um, in this country that are happening and that have been long overdue are really important. And that's something that, you know, I I think brands are going to have to, and are starting to, as we're seeing, operate like people. Like you're probably not going to be friends with somebody that doesn't have a point of view and doesn't care about anything. I love that perspective about, yeah, like, would you be friends with this person? Would you be friends with this brand? Because I feel like Oftentimes in the social media world, I'm just thinking about even talking about like the way that you write copy. It's yeah. like we say, you know, social media is not like another marketing channel. You're writing like you're talking to a friend, like people are there because they want to see content they're interested in. Yeah. And I think that we like I, I do struggle with cancel culture to some degree in right. the same conversation, because I think, um, you know, we've done we've done some anti-racism training with our organization, you know, over the last few months. And. Um, one of the big things that has been a takeaway from it is, you know, really giving people the opportunity to change. Like I fully am behind like canceling people, brands, those things that even given the knowledge that maybe they didn't have before and many opportunities that they're just refusing to change or don't want to, or Mm -hmm. just can't seem to like see the light, I would Mm -hmm. say. Uh, But we certainly need to give people the space to do so. Right. And I think that that's, that's where, you know, as it comes to body diversity and the, the topics that we're choosing to focus on and donate money to and support. And um, it's it's important to give brands and people the chance to yeah. get there. I feel like I'm going to ask another loaded question. Go for but it. But what would you say your biggest accomplishment as a business owner has been thus far? I would say just surviving 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big accomplishment. Hell yeah. We sold Rich Report actually in 2015 um, to an online retailer that ended up going under about a year later um, and then sold the business right before it went under from the online retailer to a group of investors and then ended up buying it back. Um, my co-founder <laughs> Tim and I did um, 18 months later. So over the course of like a two and a half year stretch, the business like changed hands three times. Yeah. Um, wow. And the the last time it did so, I was nine months pregnant, like having contractions and about to have my <laughs> second child. Oh my god! So managing managing that period of time of you know having to buy the business back going into labor, having a two week old negotiating these contracts and going through um, that part and like steadying the ship in the process and making our actual like team feel like everything was going to be okay when I was certain that the world was burning down around me. Mm-hmm. Um, felt like I would say the biggest like single accomplishment in that time. But um, I'm also just so proud of the team that we have. We have such an incredible, passionate group of people that work on Richer Poor. 
that truly love the brand, love our products. Like they don't just come in and like are clocking in and clocking out on a daily basis mm-hmm. without a care. Like they truly stand behind what we do. And that has been such a dream for me to be able to lead a group of people like that. That's amazing. Um, And we are so looking forward to what's coming next. Yeah, we've got a lot of fun stuff coming next. Um, We've just started doing loungewear. So stepping into sleep sets, which I now live in with matching um, robes that transition. I actually literally just took my sleep set and my robe and I drove, I took my son to school in it today, which I was like, this is maybe (laughs) a little inappropriate, but um, regardless. It's fine. um, Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. It looks put together. So nobody even blinked. So it's fine. (laughs) That's so great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys so much. I know I mentioned this briefly, but it's been tricky for me to figure out the balance of like comfy and put together. For sure. You're doing well. You look cute right now. Well, yeah. You also look cozy. Leggings on the bottom and like a normal t-shirt and sweater on top. I also... Along the same lines, like I know we talked about this at the beginning of the interview about like having a freshly laundered comfy piece of clothing to put on at the end of a day is still so like it's still so satisfying, even though we're spending most of the time at home. Yeah, I every time I like open my drawer and the thing that I wanted to wear is dirty, I get sad. And now I'm like, why don't I just buy more of that one thing? Why am I wasting my time on subpar clothes? Um, I love on Instagram, there's like a whole Instagram highlight of oh. Eva like styling the different clothes. We forgot to bring that up with her. Well, we are now. But it's so cute. I love seeing her in them and like how she wears it as like the founder of the brand. It's actually such a good use of Instagram highlights for that reason. Oh, yeah. Like it's not necessarily, it doesn't need to be planned. It doesn't need to live on the feed. I'm sure it would be beautiful on the feed if it did, but it just feels more organic yeah. to live in a highlight and in a story where she's just snapping a photo of herself Mm -hmm. getting ready in her home and like highlighting a couple of her favorite pieces in that moment. Yep, love it. Okay, so moving into the account we want you to follow this week. It's actually not a brand, it's a publisher. Yeah, we're really excited to share this BBC News example. I feel like we haven't talked about a publisher in a while. Yeah, so what they're doing in the news labs over at BBC is creating a tool that will help turn text-based story into a more visual format for social. Mm -hmm. So what the tool will be able to do, and they prototyped it with a story about long COVID. Yep. The tool was able to recognize certain keywords and recommend associated images. Um, And then the journalist can go in and kind of build this story, cutting out really that space in the middle where (laughs) you need to brief a creative team and the social team, et cetera, um, and be able to upload it to stories. Yeah. And the best part about it, too, is it really gets more eyeballs, those who aren't necessarily reading long form news anymore and actually trying to digest current events through Facebook or Instagram. Right, right. So the story was only live for 24 hours, but follow BBC News. Um, I'm sure we'll be seeing more of it in the future. Yeah. Love what they're doing over there. All right, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your week. All the social ladies. 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 Now put your phones up.